This is Talk Is Sheep, the official podcast of the Wild Sheep Society of BC, brought to you by Sitka Come along as we bring conversations that matter to you into the high alpine. So we have a uh, very special group of participants tonight in our third episode of our uh, Sheep Camp series. Um, this is something that we're doing at Spike Camp, and uh, one of our missions is to, well, our, our primary mission, first and foremost, is to support and promote our conservation group partners, and the Wild Sheep Society of BC is certainly one of the most important groups that we have, and it was the first one that we reached out to when we decided to try and uh, launch this little project that we call Spike Camp. So. Uh, I spoke with Kyle a few weeks ago and I thought it would be a really cool idea to get Kyle and his crew of executive members on some of some of them. I think we have most of them, right? We're missing one, maybe, I think. And um, just sort of get an update on projects and initiatives that are happening with the, within the society. And then uh, I guess more often than not, we don't get to see you guys or hear from you very much publicly. We see a lot of the, obviously the hard work and heavy lifting that you do behind the scenes. When we go to the show in Kamloops, we just see you guys running around like a bunch of chickens with your heads cut off, working your asses off, trying to get all the stuff done. Uh, certainly appreciate that, but we thought it'd be awful fun to get you guys on here and uh, talk a little business and then maybe talk some hunting. So I'm gonna toss the mic over to Kyle and you guys have the keys to Spike Camp. So lock it up when you're done. Awesome, Chuck. Uh, great to be here, first of all, and uh, just thank you for all you do as a member, Monarch member of the Society, Blake a member as well, and everything that you guys do. And then Spike Camp's really cool. You know, one of the things that as a conservation organization, outreach is so important to us, right? And, um, you know, trying to share our message and what we're doing. And a lot goes in behind the scenes that, you know, people don't really get an opportunity to see. And, and anything that we can do to share more of what we're doing and uh, you know, get more engagement with our members is fantastic. So I look at the list here tonight. We got a pretty distinguished list. We got a number of our own members on here. It's really cool to see. I see uh, Chair Landris, the chair of the Wild Sheep Foundation Board of Directors. So Chuck, if you want to do a pitch to get Wild Sheep Foundation more engaged with sheep uh, Spike Camp and Sheep Camp, this is your chance. So Glenn's on tonight, but uh, I see Bill who was on two nights ago and a bunch of other members and uh, it's great to see and it's really exciting. We did share this with our membership. <laughs> Um, from an introductory perspective, I'm Kyle, um, as Chuck mentioned, CEO of the Society. I'm kind of the paid guy that's doing what these guys are telling me to do in terms of uh, driving the ship and where they want to take it. The board of directors are the decision makers, and uh, um, me and my team, we try and execute on the things that, the, that are important to the board of directors, and they take their direction from the membership. So with that, um, I'll just do a really quick round of introductions here, and then we'll kick right into things uh, for those that aren't sort of more familiar. Uh, our president's Corey Green and Corey sent his regards. Uh, he was going to try and make it tonight. He had an emergency trip to uh, Hotel Alberta for some business that he had to take care of and he can't be on tonight. And uh, um, it, which is disappointing because Corey is in the north and unfortunately now we don't have any represent for representation from the north tonight. Um, and we didn't get a chance to get some of our other directors up in from up north as well. So um, anyway, unfortunately, Corey's not uh, on tonight. We've got Mike Selden and Chris, if you guys want to give us a wave. And um, you guys are going to do lots of talking here shortly once I get through the intros. Um, as far as the rest of the executive, our secretary is uh, Greg Rensmag, uh, the guy with the fancy hat. He's my co-host on Talk is Sheep. 
and Joe's uh, styling with the hair haircut tonight. Says Joe Humphreys, our treasurer. And uh, so that's the entire executive team. Um, and we've invited Peter on. He's uh, obviously a big part of our board of directors, very involved. And uh, he leads the membership uh, component of the society and does a ton of other stuff too. But uh, membership is so important to us. And anytime Pete can engage, he's very active in the membership uh, realm of things. So it was really important to have Pete on tonight. We'd love to have the entire board on. There's 14 directors, but unfortunately we have a limit of nine. So we're, we're at that limit now. So that's kind of the, the reason that we've kept it at this. So I guess with that, um, for our guests that are on tonight, um, you know, this is interactive. I've, I was on one the other night with Bill and you guys did a fantastic job of hosting uh, Chuck and Blake. Um, so any questions that you have along the way, just blurt them out and Chuck will maybe help us out. I'll, I'll keep an eye on the chat too. Uh, but really this is going to be driven by you guys on the direction we wanted to go. We do have some talking points that we want to hit on. Uh, but that's kind of where we're starting out. So um, I think to start off with, you know, there's two guys that have been doing this for decades and two guys that I really, really respect. And, and there's other people too, but Chris and Mike have been driving the ship for the society for decades. And, um, you know, we, we really rely heavily on their leadership and direction. And there's a lot of new blood and a lot of enthusiasm. Uh, we make some mistakes sometimes. There's things that we do that uh, Chris and Mike have seen before that didn't work. And uh, so they've done a really good job of stewarding the society and sort of keeping us on a, a really solid path. Um, so maybe Chris uh, and Mike, um, I'm just curious, actually, I was thinking about this earlier tonight. Which one of you was involved with the society first? Was it Mike or Chris? Because I never. I was, yeah. You were. Okay. Chris was Chris was an elk guy. Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. Old loser. Oh, sorry. I shouldn't say it online like this. <laughs> and just for the record, like, please don't let any of Mike's comments, like, because some of them might not be. Yeah. Anyway. Um, but let's start with you, Mike. So you've, you've been around for like, when did you get involved in sort of um, what did the society look? Because we go now, right? There's five, six, seven hundred people. We're, we're hoping to have 750 this year. I don't think it was like that in the early days. So let's talk about those early days and, and what it looked like when you got involved, Mike. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty grassroots. And I, I mean, it still is to a certain degree. Um, and we're talk, talking 20, it is decades. I, I didn't have gray hair. I was much better looking, a whole lot younger. But yeah, it's decades. It's 25 or 26 years since I've been we've been involved with the society, actually. Well, yeah, as soon as I met Chris, actually. So my history, Chris and I's history, we went sheep hunting together, didn't know each other. Blasting up the river up north with with Guy Scott, the guy who owned Kevin Wills' business prior to Kevin buying it. Hadn't met him in my in my life. Uh, ended up being best buddies and to this day, right? So, um, literally to the point where we came back from that. Why? Well, we all all went hunting. Came back that September, and uh, Chris's wife Lori got pregnant by Chris. My wife got pregnant, you know, by me. And yeah, had kids almost at the same freaking time. It's just fucking weird, right? Holiday together, all that kind of good stuff. But yeah, Joe's chuckling himself in the garage. But I got to ask Joe, why are you in the garage right now? <laughs> Anyways, it's um, respect, yeah, so, it's the respect of our viewers. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um, yeah, so it's been a long time. And, and at the end of the day, I started my sheep hunting career, if you want to call it a career. It's not really. It's a passion. It's just it's kind of in my blood. Um, about three, four years prior to that with guiding up in the Yukon um, for Rod Hardy, the guy who owned Tim Mervin's area before uh, before he sold it. And uh, from there, I hadn't shot a sheep in BC, so I started looking around, started to do my, my research and lots of that, of course. 
and figured, hey, let's just call guy Scott, man. This guy knows some sheep. He sees some spots. I see rams on the wall. I see freaking Jim Shockey, yada, yada, yada. So, again, that's how we all started off. And this transitioned into, hey, what do we do to get make, make more sheep? How do we give back? I mean, I want to make sure this this is here for my kids and for my grandkids. And, uh, and I want to be able to do this until I can't hike up that mountain anymore. And that's really... Uh, that's really my root cause or root reason for being here and it's probably other than the fact there's the odd person that doesn't want to see me go um i wouldn't even be here to this day really I, I, if it wasn't for the support that 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 uh, the executive has from my back in a lot of cases and uh, and the passion that we all share I, I think we all have that passion that desire but going back to that first fundraiser for me, and I can't remember which one it was, I believe it was the one we did in Cranbrook, BC. So it's a long, long time ago. Um, in the fundraiser, it was a small venue, a real intimate little deal where we had long tables that ran like two, two rows of tables down this building, as I recall. You walk in the center of this, I don't even know what kind of building it was. I don't recall now, clubhouse of some sort. And uh, and then we had people serving us at the table, and it was a communal type deal. So anything that was on that table was what you guys shared at that table. And there was a dozen plus people at that table. We started going through it and doing our fundraiser. And it, it's funny, Dave Heitzman, one of our presidents, past presidents now, um, reminded me the other day, and I hadn't met Dave at the time. Um, but uh, well, that first trip there, I, I, I won something, which is so unusual for me because I'm terrible. I, I don't win anything typically. As as you know, nobody's seen my hurrah hurrah on Hunt BC about winning a freaking LDH draw because I, I didn't. But anyways, um, yeah, I won, won a won a rifle that that trip or that that event. Donated it back, and then uh, the following year we were down in Kelowna. I believe it was our first trip to Kelowna, um, and the guys Bill Pastoric, who was the president at the time, and Dave uh, wanted me to run as the director. I showed up late, didn't get there for the election, so. <laughs> So long and short, uh, another fellow got elected. That particular gentleman had some issues that we found out after the fact. So as a, as a runner-up, I became a, a director, believe it or not. That's how it all started. Um, yeah, so that's kind of my thing. And now it's really just, I really, I just can't get enough sheep. I can't get enough hunting. I'm addicted. Uh, my, yeah, my lifestyle allows me now to a lot of freedom. So I get to do a lot more, a lot more playing than I used to even, which is pretty good because I've always spent six to eight weeks in the bush hunting. So, so yeah, I look forward to doing this for until we can't basically. So that's, that's what I got to say. I don't know if I answered your question, Kyle, but it rambled on anyway. So, <laughs> so we look back those early days and for you, Chris, um, same experience and, and sort of how did you get involved and I've, I've heard some of your sheep hunting stories, so I'm not even going to go there, but uh, just tell us a little bit about your involvement and, and how you got hooked into what, I, what do you, you always say it's like the Hotel California, you can check in, but you can't check out or the mob or something. What's your saying there? My saying is, is once you're in, you're never getting out. It's like the mob. And that, that's it. And that's true. Like uh, me and Mike, are, like I said, our kids, I think are 27. And I think that's when I, joined the board so something like that um and yeah and you guys will get a chuckle out of this one uh i was working i was doing the elk foundation like mike mentioned and uh when the elk foundation pulled out of canada um really needed somebody to fill that conservation void you know um empty space so i uh was talking to mike and went to i think i don't even know where it was mike where i, where I joined the board but um 
they were looking for a treasurer. So you guys can laugh about that <laughs> one. <laughs> yeah, sorry, uh, so that's that's how I got on the board. I started off as a, as a treasurer for the society way back when, and like Mike progressed through things. Uh, was president for I think six or seven years. Um, Glenn Kunzel was our president at the time when I was the VP, and Glenn's probably a mentor to Mike, myself, Dave. I think Bill was pre-Glenn, but um, Glenn Kuzel lived in Williams Lake, and Glenn was um, really respected. Glenn and I still carry some of his mantras to the day, especially around projects and spending money. Um, as much as we're kind of stuck in some study stuff right now, Glenn said we need to do stuff on the landscape for the sheep and quit studying these damn things. And uh, I still kind of take that with every project that we fund, that the project committee looks at and reviews you know, what, what's our return on investment? What's it going to do for wild sheep on the landscape? And that's kind of keeps me driving, but same as Mike's passion. Like I said, we met on that first sheep hunt and uh, I think we did two or three consecutively and we were pretty fortunate to harvest some sheep, but uh, that relationship's lasted way longer than uh, we probably both expected at the time. But um, we still hunt together this day and he still abuses the shit out of me. He's a good cook too. Don't let him fool you. <laughs> Right on. So I, I'm not sure if it's Greg or Pete that's newest to the board. I think it might be Greg um, is kind of the, the shortest serving member. And I know, Greg, when you were you started, you came up to our show and you kind of got hooked in right away. You're like, holy crap. And I know you've also done some volunteer work for other organizations. You reached out to SCI and were um, I think the West Coast guys were talking to them a little bit. And then you kind of landed here with us. So. You know, what brought you to the fold and, and kind of what was the hook for you to get involved with uh, with what we're doing here? Well, I joined the Mafia, so no. Uh, it was Kamloops, the show. Uh, just headed up to Kamloops, went to the Salute to Conservation a few years back and started meeting everybody, sitting in on the seminars and really just learning about sheep and seeing what the problems were and the issues they're facing and realized, well, I can dedicate some time to this. And I walked away from that show knowing where I wanted to be basically, uh, within a couple of weeks of leaving the show, I became a life member later on that year. I was a monarch. And then the year after that, I threw my name in the hat for the board and here I am sucked in and apparently going nowhere. So Chris, Chris locked me and he made me join the mafia blood brothers now. So here we are. Very cool. Um, Pete, let's talk a little bit about membership. So, you know, I look at the list here tonight and the participants and a lot of really familiar names, a lot of individuals that are members of the society, and they truly are the lifeblood of what we do. And I know as membership chair, you're really passionate about membership engagement. So let's just touch a little bit on membership, what it means to you and sort of, you know, um, maybe some of the opportunities that we'll be offering our members. We've had couple of rough years with COVID and, you know, not a lot of opportunity to get together. And I know that's front of mind for you is really trying to engage members and get them more involved. So let's touch on that a bit. Yeah, you betcha, Kyle. Um, I got onto the board a couple of years before Greg, I think, and um, it was because of a, a local project we had here in Penticton where I live. And um, it was a project where we needed volunteers to get out and, and help with it. Um, it was basically, I was going out there feeding sheep at night with, you know, a bale of hay and some, some grain and feeding them some water and stuff. So, um, that, that's my, you know, 
entry into the organization and that's what got me really into onto certainly onto the board and, and kind of got me on the deep dive into things and so always always just kind of kept that with me and and felt that it you know it's important that we're getting people out there that we're getting just general education about sheep out there and that we're spreading awareness about them um you know obviously there's so many issues in the province when it comes to to wildlife and wild sheep and um yeah for me it's just i think it's important that as many people can be involved as possible and so um on that front you know we did we did some stuff along the south thompson this year um for some sheep monitoring stuff and had um you know had varying success there in different different times of the year and, and with different things there and learned a bunch and um i think we've got a we've got some more some more potential projects up our sleeve here uh, in different spots within the province and yeah we'd really like to just get more engagement get more people out there doing more things and, and there's going to be you know with all the disease issues that we do have certainly with the bighorns down south there's there's potential to actually get your hands on some sheep which that doesn't happen very often so uh, i think it's an exciting opportunity for our members to to potentially get involved in something like that right on pete so you know that's one of the things i've seen in other jurisdictions idaho wild sheep foundation is a fantastic example tons of volunteer opportunity they're going out capturing sheep they do their um, test and remove i think a little bit differently than we do here in bc um, but a number of great volunteer opportunities for people to get out on the landscape and handle sheep and that's one of the things that you know, i've been involved with the society now i've been a member for whatever 15 years or whatever and on the the board for uh seven and i've never touched a wild sheep other than when i harvested one so um, I feel like uh, I got a bit of an itch to scratch there. Um, so one of the projects that we had this past winter was a drop net capture with the pavilion herd. And we were gonna do a wholesale uh, uh, call out for members to be involved. And uh, unfortunately that fell through. It was a bit of a weird winter weather-wise, but Chris, maybe you wanna talk a little bit about that, um, that capture um, process that's gonna go on and it, we're slating it for this winter and what's involved with that. Yeah, no. Uh, <clears throat> so it's going to be on the Fraser River down around Pavilion. Um, it's on First Nations land. Um, so we've had to get their permission. They're buying and I think they're on board. Uh, Chris Proctor's worked really hard on putting that together. So um, we're tr going to try and drop net capture. Um, the society with our membership funds, our member money, purchased a drop net for this project. And we're hopefully we're going to be able to use it on the Fraser maybe once or twice, but also in the Kamloops area and maybe in the Okanagan. So we're going to get some use out of a drop net. So there's going to be potential for members to actually, you know, get their hands on sheep. And But the first one will be around Pavilion on this Fraser. And hopefully if the sheep band up like they're supposed to, there'll be 30, 40 sheep under that drop net um, that we can get our hands on and sample and test and just see what the prevalence of movie is. And, um, We've, we've done it in the past. I've been fortunate enough to participate in three or four drop nets um, over the years. So I won't dive into that um, depending on uh, where you guys want to go. But uh, really excited about the opportunities and people to sign up and managing how many volunteers we need to get into that project. So um, really excited about it and really excited for our members to be, uh, be able to participate in it. Cool, Chris. Now, I look at the list here, and again, there's a number of members and individuals that have been involved with the Wild Sheep uh, fraternity for years. I think many of them have probably seen the film Transmission. If you haven't seen it, check out moviefree.org. 
and uh, that'd be a great resource for you to check out for what we're doing on the Fraser River. But uh, part of that process is it's called test remove. It's a strategy that we're trying to contain Movi. Um, so Chris, with that drop net, will they be dispatching sheep? Will they test them? And if they're, they test positive, will they remove them right then and there with the capture? That's the piece. I'm not 100% how Chris wants to structure that, but there's the potential. They've got to run that sample through a biomine. So my gut feeling is what they'll do is they'll hobble blindfold every, every sheep there. Um, people will be holding their heads up. They won't be tranquilized. Um, they'll take their full gamut of, uh, of, of, you know, blood, fecal, and nasal swab. Those nasal swabs then have to go to that biomine unit, which tells you whether they're PCR positive or negative. And at that point, so it takes about 45 minutes. So what we've been doing in the past is with the helicopter captures is taking those samples, going back, sampling them at night, and before we release the sheep, we put a VHF collar on them. So if the next day, if there's a positive animal or the following day, they can track that signal via VHF and then go um, euthanize that animal if it's a positive animal. So that's how we're doing it. It's shortened up the time we handle the sheep. It's less stress on the sheep. So my gut feeling is what Chris will do is they'll sample, test at night, VHF collar them, go out the next day or two days later, and then dispatch any positive sheep. Is kind of the way that it's been been working. So. I'm going to assume they're going to follow the same protocols as what we've done in Pasco. Okay, cool. Um, all right, let's uh, switch gears a little bit here. And um, the last guy we haven't really heard from is our treasurer out of the Yukon, uh, Joe Humphreys. Joe is, um, we went with the, the new, new joiners, we went with the old boys, and now we're going with the medium guys. And that said, Joe, you've been around for a bloody long time. Um, and you're wearing a lot of hats. You wear treasure hat for us. You do all the raffle stuff, but now you're also a big part of the Yukon Wild Sheep Foundation family and secretary treasurer, I believe, there and on the executive and really involved on that. Maybe just talk a little bit about um, your involvement with the board and, and some of the synergies that we're seeing and the benefits that we're seeing now with uh, this Yukon BC doll sheep project that we're working on. So over to you, sir. Uh, you're gonna have to keep me on track <clears throat> uh, that being said you guys hadn't heard from me yet that was probably to everyone's liking till now um yeah i've been around since uh 2012 was my first uh show the first year it was in Kelowna. um got elected to the board in 26 2016 uh 2017 uh i don't know if it's an upgrade or a downgrade but uh I got elected as treasurer and no one wants to put up a fight against me since um, I welcome any challengers. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I've been, I'm in my seventh year as treasurer now. Um, there, there's been a lot of growth. I mean, my, uh, my first couple of years, uh, Mike Schroeder, uh, former VP and board member, um, you know, got, got me involved, uh, with raffles. I, I came to a few shows and, uh, like Ray Thornton says, you know, come for the party, stay for the sheep. Uh, that's, that's kind of how it started. Hey, it's a good time, good weekend by friends and former board members. Um, and that's really kind of how I got immersed in sheep hunting and the conservation world. Not to say I wasn't a conservationist uh, prior to, but, uh, definitely my, my understanding and my dedication has evolved over the last, uh, you know, 15 years or so. Um, 
So my first couple of years, you know, 70 to 80,000, maybe a hundred thousand in a year of, uh, of raffles. And now we're, uh, you know, and all of that would be shows, maybe one or two pub nights. Now, uh, now you and I are getting together and texting weekly, sometimes daily. And we've got, you know, we've got our, our raffle plan, which is a huge percentage of our fundraising. You know, we're already looking into halfway into 2024. What are we going to be doing uh, for our next uh, spring and summer raffles? We're already having those conversations. So that's great with that bread and butter. And, you know, that's, you know, we're on track and I don't want to give an exact number, but, you know, anywhere from six to 900,000 a year now in raffle, um, you know, that's gross generation, but we have phenomenal donors. Um who support and see our site uh, for Wild Sheep Society BC. Um, and we get a great deal of things, either at a great discount or, you know, um, God bless, uh, full-on donations. And, and we get some spectacular donations. Our six-gun rifle raffle that we got going on right now, uh, for anyone wondering where that money's going, all six of those raffles, you know, that's $54,000, I believe, uh, roughly that's a hundred percent donation to our society so that's now you know you can probably times that by three that you know 50 55,000 in donations we're going to turn that into hundred and fifty thousand dollars minimum that we're going to put on the ground with with people buying their raffle tickets and still a chance to win sixteen thousand dollar rifle uh you know our early bird rifle that was sixty four hundred dollar uh rifle i believe so that's wonderful um i moved up to the yukon about five years ago um didn't take long um former uh secretary former board member and um vice president so rich christensen helen christensen they had moved up here a couple years prior uh, i guess you could say i followed them um didn't take long for them to immerse me uh in yukon uh we've we've had some struggles through covid um and just policy uh you know, volunteers, but uh, we're we're riding the ship in, in a big hurry right now. Um, we had our board meeting last night. There's great things to come, uh, and you know, and that brings us to chapters and affiliates. Uh, two weeks ago, uh, you guys raised. You know, we've ha had it on social media, but you know, ten minutes, two hundred seventy-four thousand US, which I think is somewhere around three hundred and twenty-one, three hundred twenty-two thousand Canadian. So. Uh, for a project that we're predicting to be $250,000, $275,000. Um, you know, that's what other chapters and affiliates in the South, uh, U.S., areas that don't even have sheep, they're they're putting big buckets of money uh, into B.C. and into the Yukon because the sheep matter. Um, you know, they believe in conservation. People want to come up here, whether it be for sightseeing, whether it be, you know, they want that chance to, to do that guided sheep hunt if they're a non-resident. Um, and it's also a great area where this project's going to take place because we're seeing some sheep struggles in some areas that um, were believed to be low pressure on, on hunting pressure. So it's going to be great to see what comes out of this project that's going to start uh, winter of 2024. Um, but I'll stop there. And... Uh, muzzle myself for now yeah awesome joe appreciate all that and you know I, I think that you know this is kind of a good opportunity to to talk about that doll sheep project in the yukon slash bc and hats off to the wild sheep foundation and chairman landers glenn who's on the call tonight uh glenn spearheaded that effectively um you know the yukon chapter 
is trying to get on their feet up north there. And uh, we all know that our northern stone sheep and dull sheep need a little bit of help. They've had some pretty rough winters up there. There's some events going on, some climate change stuff, and they need a little bit more support from us. And, you know, Glenn had said when uh, this came on the radar for chapter and affiliates that how many chapter and affiliates over the years have had dull and stone sheep hunts um, auctioned or raffled off and made tons of money for conservation and how much money have we put back there for the resource. And so Glenn thought this was a great opportunity to step up. And um, so all that money is going to uh, funnel through the Wild Sheep Foundation. It will go to those projects. And uh, Wild Sheep Foundation kicked it up and again from Glenn's leadership with the 50,000 US dollars seed funding for that. They kicked off the ball to get things going. Um, Chris, maybe you want to touch a little bit on the project end of things. What's this going to do for doll sheep? I'm excited about it. We had Crystal Chris on the podcast last night, Talk is Sheep. Anyone that's interested, we just launched that this morning. And um, Crystal talks about the importance of that, importance of that project. And it's not a lot of doll sheep projects that happen in British Columbia. So I'm pretty excited about this one. Chris, if you want to touch on it for us, please. Yeah, so this is actually the first doll sheep project that Wild Sheep Society of BC has undertaken. So um, that was kind of kickoff piece that we've never done anything for doll sheep. We don't have any information, no baseline health assessments, any of that information. And so that was the main one of the main reasons. And then the second reason was you kind of touched on it to get Yukon, get people vested in what Yukon's trying to do with doll sheep as well. So having this cross-border project kind of really invigorated that to jump off. So we're really excited. We're looking for, you know, habitat information. How often are those sheep moving across the border? Are the BC sheep staying in BC? Are they crossing into Yukon? Are the Yukon sheep crossing into BC? What's lamb recruitment look like? We have no idea what lamb recruitment looks like. So, um, and again, we have no health samples on any of these sheep. So we're going to get our baseline of health and then we're going to get this whole bunch of other data and then we can start looking at whether you know do we need to do habitat work is there a predation issue is it strictly weather like it's going to give us this whole gamut and the kind of the the really cool part of it is and it wasn't on our radar when we did start this project is but the jade boulder project um just north of Deese lake we'll be able to correlate this doll sheep information with the jade boulder information and start looking at saying is lamb recruitment similar from these doll sheep to our stone sheep and then can we correlate this data around and then helen's just working on and i'm probably going to spill the cap where we had a presentation at, at cnas is just about looking at genes and stress levels that they can pick up from gene from the genes and we'll be able to take that and look at that and they're looking at it more from the moby side of things and the stress that moby puts on them but we'll be able to look on it you know is recreational activities putting stress on those sheep at certain times of the year is that affecting the stress level and putting an undue stress on these sheep? So there's all sorts of stuff that's going to come out from when we first started talking about the project to what we're going to end up with. So we're going to end up with a whole suite of other information that, um, that we've never had before. And like I say, we can start looking at lamb recruitment basically from, from the most western point where those doll sheep are, right to Jade Boulder and all the way to Atlan because they're collared sheep in Atlan as well. So basically those whole those stone sheep herds just below the Yukon border, we'll be able to correlate all that information and just see what that looks like. And then we can start diving into what's, you know, is it predation, is it habitat, is it recreation, what's maybe having an impact on these lamb recruitment or sheep populations and 
are they moving into less desirable habitat because of for other reasons so um, pretty cool what we're going to get out of it um, it's going to really help the science piece and then obviously the other key piece of this is we're tying it in with first nations and traditional ecological ecological knowledge that's going to bring some of that Haitian history that we don't really have through western science so um, it's really important to kind of blend all of this together to see you know where did we come from where we're at where are we going to be going um, so really excited what it's how it's going to come together yeah right on chris and just talking to crystal she had mentioned that you know some of the gaps in the science there they you know there's a lot of uh, data that they don't have with this and um so i'm hopeful that from the study you know the the tag allotment in 628 629 is based on uh, the data that they have. And um, one of the things that Crystal had said was First Nations harvest was a bit of a gap there. So if we can see the inventory, you know, there's an opportunity, maybe there's going to be more opportunity for tags in the future too. So, um, you know, the, from an end user perspective, it's pretty exciting if if we ended up creating some more opportunity for some extra tags in, in that region as well. I, I think that'd be pretty cool of an, as an outcome there. So um, from an evolutionary perspective with the society, you know, Mike and Chris, you know, you guys were there in the early days, like you said, 20, I can't believe 25 years ago, that makes you really old, Mike. But uh, um, <laughs> with that, what, what, what kind of projects were you guys doing 25 years ago? And did you, what did you have for, for cash to do the work that you're doing? Did you want me to answer that, Kyle, or do you want Mike to kind of? Yeah, either one of you guys, but I'm just curious what, what you guys did for, for projects on that. Well, our, our, our revenue stream wasn't what it is today, that's for sure. Um, we didn't do a heck of a lot, quite honestly. There was a number of them but over the years, but Chris probably has a better better uh, dig on that than I do. Yeah, you know, Mike really did the fundraising piece, and that's how our banquets grew and kind of got the, the people coming in and, and the projects and kind of talked to Joe's board last night about this. I said, I can remember when we had $5,000 for the year for projects. Um, I think I relayed that story at the CNAs, um, but you know, that's what we had after our convention and we paid our bills and we had enough money to put that in the ground. And so, you know, some of it was we put signs up at Census Bridge. Um, it was really just kind of nuancey stuff, whatever we could do and just kind of basically just trying to sell, getting people to join and go in what we do. So <clears throat> as the, the game changer and Joe kind of touched on it a little bit was the first raffle that we did the first wsr raffle that mike put together and that money that raffle money gave us the money to do what we did start off with projects that we had a hundred thousand dollars to put on the ground because you know it went from five to ten to fifteen to twenty from as what we called our bake sale our convention but that was the game changer was that was a raffle right and <clears throat> that was a huge huge difference and i think that's helped drive everything else that we're doing now because we were able to put money on the ground and like i said you know kind of we were chatting earlier i don't know if it was today or yesterday but potentially we're gonna put 1.6 to 1.8 on the ground with partner funding this year um you know so for a, a group that's made up of 1300 members and obviously wild sheep foundation with 10,000 plus members um but we're going to put 1.6 on the ground for for wild sheep in bc is uh, is a huge statement and uh uh, my hats off to our board and our executive for being able to put this where we are yeah right on chris hey guys uh 
Sorry, Kyle, just a quick question, if I may. Um, can you give us the history on, um, I guess, the the chronological history on the Wild Sheep Society of BC and at what point the society became, uh, a, I guess, an affiliate, right? Your affiliates of Wild Sheep Foundation. Can you just talk about that connection a little bit and how that all played out? Because if, if, if I'm correct, I think you guys started out as a society on your own and later joined the foundation. Is that right? Yeah that's, yeah, that's correct. Um, we were our own entity, and we still are our own entity. We're, that affiliate name is, and I mean no disrespect by this, but it's a, it's a very loose relationship. But the belief from our board in Wild Sheep Foundation and vice versa, Wild Sheep Foundations believe in the Wild Sheep Society of BC and their other affiliates, um, you know, it comes back to Wild Sheep Foundation's mantra of one tent, one campfire um that gray thornton came up with that that's that's what we live that's how we operate and you know that's how the success was with this at the cnas is that 110 want campfire mentality so um the affiliate came i think we kind of blended into the affiliate piece i think i attended the first chapter of affiliates meeting in edmonton was the first one i attended and that kind of brought us into the fold um you know, loosely before that, we were working quite closely with Grand Slam um, Ovis prior to becoming that really tight knit family with WSF. So um, that's kind of how it just kind of kind of just progressed naturally. It was very loose and and informal and almost like a handshake for for lack of a better word. But like I say, true family and friends is is really what it is. Yeah, that's great, and and I think you know. I, I found it really interesting when I started to really dig into, you know, the Wild Sheep Foundation and all of its chapters and affiliates. Would you, you know, I don't know that every member of WSSBC knows the reach that the Wild Sheep Foundation has with those chapters and affiliates, but that's a, an impressive list of organization and groups. And to see, uh, you know, to see a project like the one you guys have with the Yukon, and the simple fact that the Yukon is an official chapter uh, and the history with that is, is fairly recent too, from my understanding, just in discussions with Joe in the last few days. Um, this is a really interesting project. I, you know, the fact that we've got neighboring province and territory um, so close working together on, on a big project like that, that's, that's impressive. And congrats to both groups for getting that thing off the ground. Yeah, and I think you're, you're gonna see some more, I'm gonna kinda, dive off topic to you guys rein me in but we're going to see this sort of collaboration in the next couple of years in the okanagan um i kind of call it disease central right now with seropties and Movi on the landscape down there but washington states experienced the same thing and you know glenn landris our chair he's you know for wsf that's his home state so he's just as vested as we are but <clears throat> um garrett from washington state they're they're on board with what we're doing so you're going to see, see this collaboration again with a cross border this is you know this will be the first you know when we start in washington state and bc it'll be the first international project that we do um it's going to have some really good involvement from again first nations and all our chapter and affiliates so you you're going to see a lot more of this coming at us and over the next couple of years and montana and idaho um all those relationships that we have um great group of guys same mentality as our board so 
Um, it's too bad everybody doesn't get to meet all these guys, but if you do get the opportunity to go to chapter and affiliates, that's that's the place to go and, and meet uh, people with the same kind of passion that, that we have. Yeah, right on, Chris. And I think it's you know worth noting here that uh, I think this year the Wild Street Foundation, Gray's been talking about their investment in British Columbia, but it's roughly $1 million that the Wild Sheep Foundation has invested in British Columbia this past year. Of course, a number of that, much of that went to the Wild Sheep Society BC related projects. Um, there was 100,000 US that went to one campfire, 100,000 that went to Who Cares uh, BC, which is a GOABC's uh, outreach program. And, um, and then Minister's Ag. So yeah, they're pushing a million dollars into British Columbia. So that, that can't be understated. Um, and it goes beyond the Wild Sheep Foundation. When we talk about chapter and affiliates, uh, Eastern Chapter, the Wild Sheep Foundation's invested in our projects. Uh, we just got a funding grant from them for $30,000 for the Seropolis program in uh, the Okanagan. Um, Midwest Chapter has been a partner with us, uh, Iowa Fanaz. So just great collaboration. And of course, this Yukon Doll Sheep Project's phenomenal. That's just over the top. So um, it's really a demonstration of our Wild Sheep family. It's it's phenomenal and it's, it's really the strength that we have. And you know, we look at some of the other models out there in the conservation community, like uh, SCI, where they're dedicated chapters, uh, Ducks Unlimited. A lot of that money that's raised locally will go to the mothership and then get re reinvested back in the jurisdiction. Um, you know, we're a little bit different, but I'd say our strength as a chapter and affiliate and our, our Wild Sheep family is unparalleled. It's really, really inspiring. Um, okay, I, I just want to switch gears a little bit here, unless... Chuck, do you got anything else you want to touch on on project stuff or um, want to switch gears? Um, yeah, I've got a couple things. Um, well, actually, one one for Pete. I just wanted to see if he had uh, an update on you know, the herd down south of you there that had the blue tongue uh, issue there a while back. And how's that herd recovering? And, and what's the update on that, if you could? Yeah, you betcha. Um, so that Grand Forks herd... Uh, it was before the blue tongue outbreak in and around 250 animals. Um, our best guess right now is that they're sitting in like the 60 to 70 range. Um, so it was a pretty significant die off. And that was kind of what we expected at the time. Um, yes, didn't obviously didn't find all those carcasses, but there's there's sheep living on a wild landscape. So they went and died in little holes somewhere and stuff. So yeah, pretty devastating, but but the herd otherwise is, you know, as best we know, they're they're clear of disease and stuff. They've been tested for Movi over the years. Um, you know, they monitored them over the winter and stuff, and we're watching the land recruitment out there as well. Um, you know, there's been issues with that as well. So yeah, but uh, the blue tongue thing was a it's a natural thing that comes up. Um, you know, nothing we can do about it, and so it's devastating in the moment. But otherwise, they're healthy. Right on. Thank you for the update. No worries. Anything else, sir, Chuck, before I switch gears? No, sir. Sorry to interrupt. No, it's awesome. Appreciate it. Uh, and anyone that has any questions in the chat there, just shout it out on the project side of things and we can revisit that after. Um, one thing I want to switch gears a little bit here is, you know, the Wild Sheep Society of BC, our mission is to look after BC's wild sheep, right? That's, it's, uh, our, it's very well stated. It's pretty clear on what we're supposed to be doing. Um, but, you know, we have purposes as well, and one of them is to unite sportsmen and sportswomen um, is one example of one of our purposes, and there's others as well for anyone that's interested. But one of the things that we do is advocacy and outreach, and um, obviously on the wild sheep side of things, it's pretty clear, you know, we, we sit on FATAT, 
the provincial hunting trapping advisory team. Uh, we're often engaging government uh, for different policies and legislation that's going to benefit wild sheep. But we also take it a step further. So we have our One Campfire Initiative. And Mike, I know you're super passionate about that. And then we also have our Government Engagement Committee. So I'd like to just dive a little bit into maybe let's kick things off a little bit with One Campfire, Mike. And you were a big proponent. You and I were, I think, at the sort of uh, front of the line there trying to put things together in the early days, you know, right on the heels of the Grizzly announcement in 2017 when Horgan waltzed in and made some changes that we didn't like there. Let's talk a little bit about One Campfire and your passion for that and why the society is spearheading this. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's kind of a, yeah, I don't know. It's a lot of work what we got going on there, but uh, the way I look at it, hunters, we've never really told our story. Um, most people, in my experience, that come from non-hunting backgrounds, when met with uh, hunters and brought, you know, to the table, uh, you know, honestly, uh, politely, you know, show them, show them your world, what it's all about, feed them, um, that kind of stuff. Seemed to come to the table well, and, and my Kyle and I literally came to this. <laughs> it was it was it was a weird weird deal. We grizzly bear thing was getting dealt with in BC, and uh, and I phoned Kyle one day and said, Kyle, I got this idea, and Kyle's like, you know, so we talked about it, and he says, well, yeah, um, I got exactly the same idea, and I'm like, right on, so. And, and basically Kyle ran with it. So it, it became Kyle's baby more than my baby, um, which is, again, uh, let's put more feathers in Kyle's cap, but a real big bonus having a guy like Kyle who is so freaking adaptable, efficient, uh, just an amazing guy. Like he, he's made, he's doing conservation work in BC that wouldn't be getting done if we didn't have a guy like him involved with us directly. So anyways, long and short, um, we're 30 years behind the curve of the antis, and maybe more than that. And uh, over the years, uh, you know, we've gone from from coming home from a hunt with your mule deer or your moose or whatever hanging over the hood of your pickup truck, to to throwing them under the canopy, hiding it all away, being really quiet about it, and and sort of hiding who you are and what you what you identify as as such. And I I think everybody at the table here identifies as a hunter, and uh, and everything that goes along with that. I mean hunter gather i don't really care i mean out fishing today with the wife and uh yeah got the, got the, you know a couple of nice rainbow trout bring them in cook them for dinner really nothing better than that and hunting is the same thing and, and when we get right down to it hunting fishing gathering i mean it's it's all it's all it's we, we all started there and uh and being able to to live that in a modern world because i mean a lot of people live in the city i grew up in the city myself but don't live there anymore thank Fuck, I mean, thank God. And uh, yeah, it's just, we need to tell people our, how we respect these animals, how, how you know, I don't even know how to get across some of the things that, uh, that the emotions and the feelings in hunting. Uh, I mean, we all started off, whether it's shooting with birds or shooting a spike buck or whatever it happens to be. And, and those of us that have been at it long enough, I suspect all sooner or later, we're going to get to that point where they're looking at, in my case, it was it was two two animals. Uh, one was a, a big grizzly bear that I shot up on the coast northern coast of BC, um, that I I walked up to with my with my buddy Kevin, and uh, looked at and I just like as I'm looking at this awe inspiring animal, it's coming to me like man, I, I you know this was a, an amazing hunt and I'm, I'm passionate, I'm a passionate grizzly bear hunter, but I'm like man, I don't I don't know if I need to freaking shoot another grizzly bear. But what's that, that, what that allows for me to do, 
because I love hunting them. So I go take my son hunting. He shot his, he shot his grizzly bear um, in 20, what was it? Seven, when, what year was it, Kyle? When they shot the bear hunt down? Yeah, 17. 17. Yeah. yeah, so he, he got his that last fall um, and wonderful, great experience to be able to share with my son. Um, and then he shares those same experiences with his friends. And now we've got a bunch of his friends that were never hunters that, uh, that I'm taking into the up north this year for a month in the bush with me. And um, yeah, they're, they're going to go and get to experience what we experienced firsthand. And it's really, again, one campfire is, is about telling those stories and, and that transition from city dweller, soccer player, soccer mom, whatever you are, to, to, uh, to embracing what we do. Or if, even if you're not embracing it, supporting it. And I don't know how that's going to really happen full bore. But again, we're 30 years behind the curve, but we got to keep messaging. We got to keep talking the talk and, and making people understand that we're just not a bunch of Elmer Fudds out there chasing Daffy the Duck around the woods, man. Yeah, right on, Mike. Um, well said. So, Greg, with us and the government engagement side of things, uh, we've, we've had a number of Act Now campaigns. We kind of kind of call it Act Now. It's kind of our call to action. We've done this on a few different issues, um, and one of which was a little bit on C-21 firearm stuff, but, um, you know, other issues as well, too. Maybe just give us an update on the importance of the Government Engagement Committee and kind of, you know, is this something that we kind of use as a tool when we need to? Is this something we need to be more proactive on, sort of what your vision is for the Government Engagement side of things as our chair for that committee? Yeah, so with the, the Government Engagement Committee, you know, just continue on with what Mike said there. Uh, one of our big ticket items that really put the government engagement committee forefront with everybody was the anti predator hunting movement. Uh, we were, you know, we were facing shutdown or you know, millions of votes, literally millions of votes to shut down wolf hunting in BC and our membership and people outside our membership stepped up when we launched the act now campaign a couple of years ago. And we, you know, we had sent over 50,000 letters to government in support of science-based wildlife management and support of the predator hunt. And we had, uh, Kyle was one of the guys, I believe Chris might've been there. We delivered 20,000 letters to the doorstep in Victoria, sent a message um, with, there was other parties involved, but you know, we sent a message using that government engagement committee and it was an incredible tool, the act now. Um, more recently, we. We launched, relaunched Act Now for the against the Bill C twenty one. The other year we were going Region four regulation changes. Again, it was more emotion than science, and a couple people pulling the lever that, you know, there was other things that could have been done, and we didn't believe in them. And we we have representatives across the entire province in every region, and we send those representatives. We give them the tools they need, help them out they go and interact with their MLAs and we just, we drive the nail home. Basically we just keep going and uh, yeah, well, that's what the government engagement committee is there for. It's to support hunters, support wildlife, support conservation, but bring it to the next level. Yeah. Well said, Greg, and appreciate your leadership on that. And I guess for our listeners that, you know, we're always looking for people to get more involved on the advocacy side of things like meeting with your MLA um, federally with your MP on some of these other issues, maybe not so much wildlife, but uh, C21 was a great example. 
Uh, you know, building those relationships is absolutely critical. And our government engagement committee kind of provides us with some tools. Now we're kind of in the middle of an election cycle right now. So we're a little bit quiet on that side of things. But as we, you know, get closer to election, you're going to see a little bit more noise coming out of that committee. But then when there's some hot topic issues that we're really concerned about, uh, maybe around policy and things like that, uh, you'll see the committee get more involved. And then we use that Act Now campaign kind of when we need to be. So um, good stuff there, Greg. And uh, and I guess sort of, I guess our listeners, anyone that's interested, just reach out to Greg or anyone from the society. And, and the more people we kind of have on our list, we, we do have a government engaged committee that record, um, we, we'd love to have a representative in each single uh, MLA's riding meet with their um, respective MLA and sort of build that relationship so that when something comes up, you can go and say, hey, this is an issue. And if uh, the leadership in Victoria is hearing 80 different uh, MLA's saying the same thing, they're going to start paying attention, right? So um, that's an that's a easy way for our members and anyone that cares about wild sheep to get involved with very little uh, you know, it doesn't cost you much. It just takes a little bit of time and it's really, really effective. So, um, okay, let's transition a little bit here now. And uh, I'd like to hear from, I guess, any one of you guys on, you know, things that are on your radar that are of concern for wild sheep, things that you've been thinking about. Um, and Chris, do you want to kick us off on on some of the things you're, you lead our projects chair as a projects chair and you have, uh, you know, you're, you're kind of the forefront on the project side, but What's in your radar and what do we need to do better for wild sheep? Well, I think one of the things that's always asked is, um, you know, how do I support the society and, you know, what, you know, where would my money go? And I always tell people that one of the best ways to support the society, if you really want to do something for sheep, is buy raffle tickets. All those raffles that you guys put together, that's how we get that money on the ground for projects. And that's what allows our projects committee and our board to get that money up back on the ground. So that's kind of the main one is the raffles really drive that home and, and empowers. And then, you know, the networking that we've done helps drive the rest of those, those project stuff. So it's getting, it's a nice problem to have. And you keep bugging me about it, that um, I've got to come up with some projects. Um, and one of the things I do look at is, is we, we look at where we are, at, where we've got these baseline health assessments. We've just about, we haven't got all our sheep herds done, but we're getting really close to getting all our sheep herds done to where we're, if they've got movie, we can do the test and remove. But what's the next big step? What's the thing that's really gonna be impactful for sheep on the landscape and for our members and for non-members and hunters is gonna be actually growing more sheep. And the only thing that's gonna help do that is habitat and keeping disease and that disease separation. So first and foremost, we still haven't got policy regulation from from government. The previous ag minister did approve that. The recommendations have gone to the bureaucrats. We still haven't got anything signed off on that. So we here we are two or three years later. We're still waiting for policy and regulation that should be simple enough to pass through that protects wild sheep. We do support the domestic sheep industry, and we've got a you know Jen. Jen Bows in the Kootenays really supports and believes in what we're doing. There's a lot of other producers out there. So it's not, it's not the society saying that you need to do this. That's not, it's a cohesive working thing. We've got some parts of ag on board trying to support that program, but that policy regulation piece is huge. So for members, if they want to write a letter or get involved, that's the biggest missing link. That's what is going to protect more of our sheep. As soon as that's out of our hair, 
and I, Mike's heard me say this, but if disease is sorted out, I can retire. You told me I can't, but um, Kyle, but um, if disease was sorted out, we're focused on habitat. And that's going to be the next swing shift. That's got to be a almost a paradigm shift in thinking because it's we're looking at, you know, invasive species, burns. How is that going to be effective on the landscape? You know, do we look at these new pieces in, we've got cheatgrass infestations in Kamloops. So are we looking at fertilizer um, treatments to try and get rid of cheatgrass? So all this, these pieces to improve habitat, but that's going to be, the next piece that's how we're going to support our sheep on the landscape is getting habitat work done and that's going to be that next transition and it's coming at us quicker than i think most people realize i think we've probably got one or two more years of of doing what we need to do obviously the okanagan we're going to be dealing with the seropteys and movi probably for the next four or five years but you know you remove that from the landscape the threats to the okanagan the loss of habitat winter range stopping subdivisions going up the hills they're all moving up into the hills so those big losses there so you, we've got to start thinking outside of the box like when you, automatically when you think about habitat you're going to go okay well sheep live in these mountain ranges here and there and they're kind of removed from the influence of of housing and stuff but the okanagan is a prime example of what can happen the kootenays not far behind their issue in the kootenays would be invasive species logging roads and just the amount of roads there's no refugia left for those sheep in the in the Kootenays. You can look at a sheep mountain from every different angle because there's so many logging roads in there. So we move in logging roads and that access piece creates some refugia for the for these animals. So we're not, you know, part of the hunt to me is it, it's the hunt. You know, me and Mike have been, I think the last what, five, six sheep hunts, Mike. I don't think we've killed a sheep. I think we're just out there for exercise. Don't tell everybody that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know we see sheep except for the last trip but um you know that's kind of a, a nuanced story projects chair we're in a sheep hunt and guess what? they're doing a project and they're flying uh oil drums out where we're sheep hunting um so you know a bit of helicopter travel those sheep disappeared in a hurry so kind of screwed up our own sheep hunt but um you know there's a good, great example of something that's that's gone sideways mining company goes in does exploration left I think what was that total project 150k to remove all the garbage and and barrels out of there who paid for it hctf and an ngo and i think there was a bc gaming grant in there that helped fund that project but why are the mining mining companies not accountable for cleaning up their mess if they're going to do this exploration so there's there's lots of stuff that's wrong with the system and i can keep going on and on and i'll stop there kyle but those are the kind of things that we need to be focused on I'm not thinking of just the generic things that are going to be short term. It's what are all these other impacts that are jumping in there? So, so if I yeah. could jump in for a quick sec here uh, with a question, um, I'm sure it's a real daunting process. But could you guys talk a little bit about how how you decide the allocations for uh, funding to projects and how those priorities are sort of evaluated and managed? um before you execute the the funding for them because i can only imagine i mean just right there just in, in five minutes you know chris you came up with a whole bunch of different things that are issues for sheep out on the landscape so um you know i could just imagine a one board member's uh priority might look a little different than the member sitting beside so just curious how that looks if you guys could talk about that 
Yeah, so I think we're in a really unique way how things progressed or ended up being structured. Um, the board is very like-minded. Um, we do have differences of opinion, which is great because then it's not just, it's not a rubber stamp and, and you get all these nuanced pieces. But where the society is situated, we can end up coming up with these ideas and we talk to our regional bios and that's somehow how, how these projects come to fruition is we help guide those projects. So for instance, the Dwell Sheep Project, um, Bill Jacks is the one that gave me the idea, but I was talking to Bill, I said, hey Bill, you know, we want to do a project, we want to do a cross-border project at Yukon, you know, is there something we can do with for doll sheep? Um, we know that there's that they need some help, but is there so Bill sent it to and that's not progressed. So um one that's on our radar and it's gonna be on our projects call tomorrow night. And um, Bill may kill me for for stating it this way, but um you know what I'm thinking about okay, we've got this great project in the Yukon that's gonna happen. We've still got another herd of doll sheep in the Tatsanshini that we have no information on whatsoever. So we're buying all these collars. So what happens if we buy some collars um, and get the, a cheaper rate on them because we're bulk buying collars and we look at putting collars in Tatsanshini sheep and then we can really monitor lamb recruitment, get and start looking at, you know, what habitat are they using, you know, all the, the, the suite of things that we're looking for. And really that accumulates all our sheep from the west right to the east of the BC border. So that Taps and Sheeny sheep herd was a is a missing link in my mind. So I reached out to Bill and Crystal about it and I said, you know, this is this is a thought process. What do you guys think? And um yeah, Bill goes, well, it's got some merit. We've got a you know, that's where Crystal and Bill come in and you know, put the outcomes in. Is this a viable project? So we rely heavily on our regional bios to come up with these ideas. And that's how the Fraser River started off. I was bugging Chris Brock and we had a meeting and we were talking about, you know, what's going on with Fraser River sheep. There used to be 3,500 sheep there and we're down. We're shutting the hunt down. There's less than 850 sheep or 850 sheep on the whole Fraser River system. What's going on? Let's, I think it's Movi. I think it's disease. Let's go sample it. So that's how that transition piece. So, you know, everybody works on, like Pete works on stuff. Greg works on stuff. Greg leads our, our lamb counts in the Fraser. So they all kind of spin off one another, but we and we want to be able to drive where our money's going. So it's more impactful. And I think that creates the belief in what we're doing on the landscape as well. Um, you know, the, that's why I think the board is so engaged is because everybody's driving these nuances and we go through the merit thing and we look at, you know, the return on investment. What's the outcome for wild sheep going to look like? Is it going to be positive? And is it going to help sheep? And then we're going to put more sheep on the mountain. So those, those four or five things kind of guide that whole process to where we're at. But we're in, I wouldn't say we're in control, but we help guide a lot of how our projects come to fruition. Right on, Chris. I'm curious. You said, you said, I asked for what was on your radar and you kind of gave us a laundry list, which is cool. But okay, you can only solve one problem. And I'm going to narrow it down because I know it's, well, it's, three probably but two in your world disease habitat which ones and i know predation is three but which is the one you could solve one of those two what are you going to solve disease because we can have more sheep on the landscape yeah i figured you'd say that yeah. okay um right on um okay let's uh 
what, what else is on the radar for, you know, with Greg, Pete, Joe, Mike, you guys have been on the board. What else do you want to accomplish? Mike, let's go with you because you've been on the, the longest um, and you're, you keep putting in year after year, you keep stepping up and you do uh, your, the lion's share of stuff. And, you know, the point where a lot of people are retiring off the board and you keep coming back, what else do you have left to accomplish in your tenure on the board? Well, pretty, pretty exciting. I guess you, you and I were down in Penticton the other week looking at a new venue for our fundraiser. So no longer in Kamloops, moving her to the Penticton Convention Center and the Lakeshore Hotel there. Um, that's pretty, you know, it's funny. You, you come out of the fundraiser AGM, whether it's the northern one or the southern one. And of course, I end up going to both of them. Um, and every single time, it doesn't really matter how down on how much your workload is or life or anything else. You come out of those events reinvigorated, stoked about what's going to go on next year. What are we doing? You know, and it's 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 awesome. And I and that's the kind of passion that I don't think a single one of our directors, um, and for that matter, even a lot of our our members, they all feel the same way. I mean, we're we are one big family of of sheep hunters, the Wild Sheep Society of BC. Uh, we're a group that just seems to take ownership. Uh, of the, everybody has a stake in what we got going on. Like Chuck's got this going on. Chuck's son's involved with it. I mean, it's just it's just absolutely unbelievable, the uh, the connection and the uh, connectivity of, of the groups and various people that are that are involved with this. But to answer that question more directly, yeah, I, I mean, I've got a little bit a little bit more time. Well, I got a lot more time. I, I'm retired now. I'm only 53, so I, yeah, I get lots of time. And probably I keep saying to you, I'm always busy, and I am, but I can only cut so much firewood. Like. I really have a lot of firewood cut, so and that's great. But um, I want to see that Penticton show kick off, and uh, and really, I want to see it for a number of years before I go anywhere, unless you guys just decide you don't want me around anymore. Um, I can I can see that thing really turning into the sheep show, mountain hunter extravaganza type deal. And we have this is maybe letting the cat out of the bag a little bit. We got a lot of lot of thoughts and a lot of a lot of irons in the fire on this one right now. So really, really stoked to be a part of that um, more so than anything else right now. I mean, my involvement with the society has always gone, has always been on the fundraising side of things. And I'm not really sure how how that worked out that way, but it just ended up being that way. I'm like you, Kyle, been around a little longer. I haven't had my hands on a sheep on, on a capture either. Chris, Chris is a helicopter sheep hog, man. He takes them all. Like he just never lets us go. <laughs> So, anyways, I can say that he's my friend, but uh, that's that's my thing. I want to see that kick off. I want to see that to its full potential. I'd like to see us. I'd, I'd really, yeah. I just think it's going to be the next greatest thing we got going on. It's going to be amazing for the society. So, and build this, build this brand, man. Build this this group. Awesome, Mike. Yeah, inspiring for sure. And you know, the cool thing is when I when you get together like this, and it's a bit more tacked out because I'm sitting here and we're talking about in this session to you know people from not on the board on the outside and i think you know we're we all have our own strengths right you know there's things we all bring to the table and you know barker is heavily invested in projects you are heavily invested in the fundraiser like that's your baby you know i look at joe and he's running the raffles and just doing full time on that gucci's membership greg's social media and government engagement and it's you know that i think that's the strength of our organization where we're sitting now is we've got a very diverse group that people have so many different strengths and we're not all trying to do the same thing. I remember Steve Kilpatrick from Wyoming a while back had said that the worst thing you can have is 14 directors that all want to run the show. It's a train wreck. You, you want people to stick in their lane and do what they're good at 
and um, you know, Steve was the executive director. Let me be the executive director and you do what you're good at and so forth. And we all need to have our little piece of the pie and work on that. And I think that, you know, kudos to this group because I look, we're very diverse in our leadership in roles on this board. Um, on that note, Pete, I know you're super passionate about membership, um, you know, and you're relatively new to the board, although you're not new to the board. Um, so there's lots of upside on the membership side. What do you see down the road? What do you envision for that? Where, where do you want to take it? What do you want to see from a growth perspective? What would you like from our membership? Yeah, I mean, I think obviously you want to see growth year over year and all these things. I've I've got some, you know, personal goals of where I'd love to see the society end up at one point, um, you know, and, and that's quite large. And I think I think we're we're on the right trajectory with that right now. Like we're, you know, as Joe was alluding to earlier with the with the raffle numbers that we generate. Um, as we continue to push that narrative out and people see the work that we're doing and we see these new projects kick off throughout the province, um, I hope it would give, you know, more hunters in this province, you know, pause for consideration about what the society is and and to see that, you know, a, a sixty dollars or fifty-five bucks on a renewal, like that that adds you know your your name as a member adds a piece of weight to to the society that we can then take to to government and to all these things and so um yeah that's that's one of you know just that continued growth of membership and then um tied into membership is just our relationship building as a society right well, the different organizations that we're building relations with whether that be um government, whether that be First Nations, whether that be other organizations like GOABC or whomever else, right? There's all these different groups that are in the hunting space, in the conservation space. And um, just having us, I think, continue to build all of those relationships as best as we can. Um, we're not going to get it right all the time, obviously, but to do whatever we can, like that's to me, that is super important. And, and I think we're making great strides in a lot of that and just want to see that grow, grow more. Awesome, dude. Definitely inspiring and uh, really cool the direction we're going with it. And, you know, to your point, you show up to government and you say, we have 300 members and we're advocating for this. They're like, oh, 300 members. Yeah, okay, fine. But you show up to government with 1,400 members or 10,000 or 20,000 members, then they start paying attention, right? So that that $55 or $60 membership may only be $55 or $60. And does it move the needle for wild sheep from a, you know, a financial aspect? Probably not. But it's much bigger than that you know the larger we grow the more advocacy we have the more strength we have with government the more respect we get um and just to shout out take a look at blake there behind him over his right shoulder he's got a new life member plaque one of our newest life members so thanks for that blake and for your support of the society it's awesome dude so very cool um okay let's uh let's talk a little bit we promised some sheep hunting and so when we marketed this greg and i said that Anyone that's killed a sheep has to just share coordinates. So if you guys just want to pop the X on the map for all the new sheep hunters there, that'd be great. So, um, and it could be one from years ago. It doesn't have to be a recent one. So, okay, I, we didn't do that. We can't do that. But that said, um, I guess, Joe, let's start with you. You're the newest less than one member that's been kicked out most recently. So um, how many years did you hunt? And then tell us about your dull sheep that you happened to, you found one dumb one up there in Yukon that you finally were able to kill. So let's hear a little bit about that. I just needed some hair, right? I just grabbed a man bun and got it done. <laughs> um, you know, I, 
I I did a little bit of stone sheep hunting when I was in BC. Um, yeah, that, that definitely a missed opportunity. If you think of uh, kind of where we've been, and if I was to go back ten years in time and and invest a little bit more time and knowledge, um, yeah, missed opportunity. Um, took me, I so really started dedicating my sheep sheep hunting and time in the mountains um once i was up in the yukon and got one in 2021 uh which i would say was probably my fourth dedicated sheep hunt uh and every sheep hunt i've done um has been a solo excursion the uh the one time i had a planned uh uh partner sheep hunt to go for eight days in the hills with a partner uh he decided to uh have a heart attack uh, jammer three days before uh we went into the bush. So that was just a signal right there that Joe's just better by himself, I guess. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, um, I got one in 2021, eight day solo hunt. Um, and I, I was a pack horde. I had 300 times more food than I needed. So with all of that and my gear and a few luxuries, which I would probably still take with me today, uh, what was 14 K back from my truck was turned into a 40 K, pack out because I had to leapfrog and go back for gear back and forth. So um, it was something I lost 12 pounds in eight days. And I wish I, uh, I look at myself now and I wish I would have kept cheap hunting because it would have been the better for me. And uh, I'm looking to the year ahead, you know, um, it takes a little bit to scrape up the $10 for a sheep tag up here, but you know, I I'll find the money somehow to make sure I got a tag by August 1st and uh, I'll drive somewhere. I might drive a little further this year, maybe four hours from home instead of three. But, uh, you know, I'll find a place, you know, I'll make sure there's gas in the tank and I'll get it done. You're incorrigible, man. That's terrible. I uh, just hope he gets the job in Alberta. <laughs> that's a very asshole thing to say, I must say. <laughs> so, you know, one of the things I think it was Gunda who on Instagram, the, the, the spoofsters there, are making fun of, uh, you know, the Wild Sheep Society BC Board of Directors um, telling people how to sheep hunt and they've never killed a sheep before. So we maybe have one of those. Greg, tell, tell us about your quest. What's uh, what's on the radar? And, it, you know, it's funny. Um, again, we're we're putting sheep on the mountain. We're not taking them off, but we're all hunters at heart. I think every one of our Board of Directors is a hunter. I don't think there's an exception there. Uh, we all care about it. We want to preserve hunting opportunity for for our membership and for British Columbians and and all of us, obviously, right? But uh, obviously, Greg, you're uh, you still waiting to get kicked out. But uh, and I noticed that you're planning these trips. They're not really sheep trips either. You're shooting caribou and moose and stuff like that. So talk to us about that for a second. Oh, it's uh, I seem to just be taking pictures of them with my camera for some reason. But uh, no, I've I've gone on a, a couple dedicated sheep hunts. Um, they yeah they ended up going other places been you know the first one we went in for stones ended up going after goats because that's all we were seeing was goats um and then we went in again we went in for a flying for stones ended up caribou hunting and then we uh <laughs> went in for another flying probably not really a sheep area and uh there's sheep nearby shot a moose so you know one of these days i might actually glass for the sheep and shoot one so hopefully maybe this september we're flying in again uh got my sight set on a stone i 
I know where they are there. I've seen them there. I've never seen any legal ones there, but you know, population is good. So fingers crossed, I might get kicked out of that club. But uh, till then, I'll, I'm going to have my camera with me, so I'll keep sharing the pictures on Instagram and Facebook for everybody to look at my failures to pull the trigger on some animals. Yeah, you have no uh, difficulty getting close to sheep, but uh, killing is another story. But I've got one piece of advice, and I'm not a, not much of a sheep hunter, but I've, I've had the opportunity to be on one and be successful or two maybe. But I've got a piece of advice for you if you're interested. <laughs> so, God, let's hear it. <laughs> uh, this, is, this is good advice for a new sheep hunter that leave all your other tags at home. Just take your sheep tag because that, that's a curse, man. Like you'll never kill a sheep because you're busy chasing everything else. And whenever I've carried extra tags, it's like, yeah, you just mission drift, man. I'm telling you, it's the kiss of death. <laughs> What's the problem when I keep going these places when there's uh, animals I've never harvested before. So the yeah. caribou, the caribou one was a first for me. So it was, you know, caribou quickly took my attention because I had never taken one before. So we, uh, we made that happen. This time I could ignore the caribou. I'm teasing you a bit. Um, but I guess for, you know, some of our members there that are the newbies that uh, haven't been on a sheep hunt or haven't been successful, um, I think if anyone was going to give us a little advice, it'd probably be Chris or Mike. It's certainly, if I was looking for some sheep hunting advice, I'd call one of you two guys up. But uh, uh, Mike, you want to jump in and just kind of give some words of wisdom on, on uh, you know, your greatest keys to success to be successful out there? Yeah, I mean, I do agree with you, Kyle. Uh, pick pick one animal. If you're going to go sheep hunting, you might like might not like hunting sheep in August, but you're limited to what you can hunt in August, so it's always a good time. It's one of my favorite times to go. Um, man, I, I don't know. I, I went to Sheep University in the Yukon with hunt, and hunted with my first year with the man, with Rod, who was like the, the sheep guy up there, just an amazing hunter. Um, Chris and I have always hunted with our packs on our backs, with our gear with us pretty much day in and day out. And uh, that means up the mountain, down the mountain, across the creek, up the whatever. Like the pack is always with us ten, nine times out of ten, except when we put it down and then we can't find it like we did with Patrick that time. That's always fun. But um, yeah, and that, that's when I say that. So what that does allow you to do is it saves you that five kilometer hike back to camp because you got on your back. Maybe you can't go quite as far, but it allows you that flexibility to, to go that next ridge. I mean, <laughs> which Chris and I have done without the packs on our back. And we've spent numerous nights out in the cold with or without fire, generally without food, um, you know, pushing the limits. And, and that's really, I think that's really what it comes down to is pushing the limits. I mean, you think you can go that this far or you can work that hard, work a little harder. Um, don't be in a foot race. It's not about about racing at all. Like, take your time. You know, if you're in a spot where there's more people and too many people, well, you're in the wrong fucking spot. Like too many people just is, is, is the bane of sheep hunting, quite honestly. The only thing worse is cattle on the landscape when you're hunting sheep. That's the only thing I hate more than too many fucking people in the mountains. So, oh, sorry, I don't have my woke meter on, so I apologize for the cursing. Hopefully, hopefully Robin's not on. Um, anyways, um, yeah, that that's it, man. Keep your heads down and uh, and work hard at it and pay attention. Learn, just learn. I mean, anybody who's passionate sheep hunter is going to, or is passionate about sheep hunting, is going to have uh, their ear to the ground and every little bit of knowledge 
um, absorb it one way or the other, absorb that bit of knowledge, learn from it. And uh, beyond all else, yeah, pack light and take your time. Take your time. Don't run up and down the mountains, or especially across the tops of the mountains. I hate you fuckers even more, actually. The guys that run across the tops of the mountains drives me crazy. That's it. That's it, eh? Um, and to that note, I guess just, uh, you know, if you want to learn from people like Mike, where do you go? And you go to, you know, go to one of our fundraisers. And that's where I started, uh, started networking. And, you know, just the, the, the number of people there with experience that I lear- I've learned from over the years and the thing, and, you know, you just go to the show and you learn something new every year without fail, without, so just a plug to the fundraiser and, you know, it's just a great place to network with like-minded people. And if you want to learn from sheep hunters, go to a sheep hunting place and the fundraisers tend to be that. Barker, do you want to throw anything else on top of that? So for the, the people that are psychopaths that are sheep hunters, Barker has to take it to the next level and he does it with a string and a bow. So let's talk a little bit about and Sometimes that. without even his pants. <laughs> I don't even want to know. See, that's the story that I know that you two are out there hunting and Chris doesn't have any pants on. I don't even, I don't even want to think about it. And you talk about whatever. Uh, I'm with you, brother. <laughs> All I'm going to say, I can add to to that. And, um, you know, the first sheep hunt that me and Mike, where we actually met. <clears throat> and, uh, again, I was I was packing a bow and a rifle at the same time because it was my first sheep hunt. Um, well, it wasn't my first sheep hunt. My first sheep hunt, it was with some friends. And, that, you know, that's kind of a whole other story. But the first one, me and Mike went on together. I was packing my gun, my, go, my bow. And I think it was probably day one or day two. Mike goes, why don't you just stash your gun here? If, if we see something, you can't get it with a bow, you can use my gun. And um, since that day, I don't even pack a gun anymore. If I need to use Mike's gun, I probably shot more animals with Mike's gun than I have with uh, my own guns. Um, just because of that relationship that it allows me to pursue my passion with a bow, knowing that if there is something there that I can't get to and we do want to take an animal, not so much anymore, but... <clears throat> that opportunity is there but leading back to that that piece is you know that to have a great hunting partner like mike it's not i don't do this is going to sound really i don't know naive or i'm not sure if that's the right word but mike decides where we're going i go to mike are we going sheep hunting this year and he goes yeah this is where we're going yeah he's already done the research so i'm very fortunate in that regard that i don't have to do the spots and you know he's mike's done the research i kind of know yeah that's a good spot um that's where we're going so my trust in mike is is huge when he says we're going here i don't take anything else for granted i just make sure i got my shit and we're off and whether you know whether we harvest anything or not, it doesn't matter we've we're in we've had a good time and it's it's about that you know relationship that that hunting piece and just building those memories and those stories and um it's you know i've been really fortunate that i've had some great hunting hunting partners over the years um that i've been able to hunt with so i think if you you know piggyback on what mike says about you know what pisses him off the biggest detriment to a sheep hunt would be having a partner that quits on you that bails on you that doesn't have believe in the same thing that you're trying to accomplish so if you've got if you're hunting with a partner and they're in the same mind you're acting like one and one knows what the other one wants to do. And it's pretty cool. I mean, when I shot my, my stone sheep, my bow, 
Um, Mike was there. We had another buddy, Ken, from Camel River with us. And um, we spotted these two sheep. The one that I was going to go after my bull was down the mountain, about halfway down. There was another ram on top. There was two rams together. Ken was sitting on this ram. What was it? Three or four hours, Mike? While he waited, I get yeah, down and four plus. Yeah, four, four plus hours. He's watching the sheep, and he waited till I shot mine with my bow. And he was sitting on a Boone and Crockett ram for four hours, watching it, allowing me to go shoot that ram with my bow. And his ram went one seventy two Boone and Crockett. So, having the right hunting partner to do what you want to do and believe in in what you're doing is is the really key to success. And you push one another too. You know, if you're down having a shitty day one day, the other guy's going to bring you up. So you can you can actually go that extra that extra mile. Um, you know, another funny story. You know, me and Mike were on another sheep hunt. I don't think we shot a sheep that trip either. But we were hiking up. It was a fucking shithole, and we were hiking <laughs> up where I didn't have my pants on. Um, but Mike Mike was packing my quiver, and he goes. <laughs> we're going through this creek and there's a cliff on either side and all i see is mike stumbles he kind of goes down a bit so i was like okay he's safe and he goes oh fuck there goes your quiver my whole quiver of arrows goes floating down the creek um but i had a you know i had extra hours in my backpack but shit like that i had extra hours i brought that's whatever it's shit happens right you know we're both okay we both had a great trip but shit's gonna happen and let it roll let it roll off your back i'll shut up now for sure. And you know what? Hunting with a bow hunter for me, uh, we, yeah, we've had numerous opportunities with sheep. We've killed sheep with it. But when we started getting into hunting, I know we're not talking bears, but hunting bears, bear hunting got really, really fun for us, for me in, in particular, because I can really give a rat's ass about shooting black bears for the most part. But we did a lot of that when, you know, in the younger years, when I was missing my kids' birthdays and all that kind of good stuff, just so I could get out spring bear hunting on the island with Chris. But yeah, we, you go from shooting bears at 100 yards to shooting them at 20 yards and and you're very successful at it that way. It's, it's a hell of a good time. Lots of fun. Lots and lots of fun. But yeah, just to follow up on your little story there, on your story. Um, yeah, just so everybody knows, we do kill the odd sheep. That was our second hunt together, the three of us. And we tripled on that one. And we tripled on the one before that. And uh, I think we had at least two other two other hunts where we got double headers. Yeah. And some good sheep. crock of sheep too. Yeah. Not doing on patting ourselves in the back, but a little raw, raw time, man. It's got to get pumped up for sheep on. It's right around the corner, man. Got to, <laughs> got to have some something to get me up that mountain tomorrow when I'm hiking. Well, that's what sheep camp's all about, man. Awesome. I'm really scared when you go hiking. <laughs> training, pre-training. Yeah. Well, we're breaking in somebody new this year, seeing as you're not coming sheep hunting in August with me. So we'll see. Should be well, a good time. Get me on the good trip, but we got a few tags in our in our pockets that day. So, and kids to fill them. Yeah, they can shoot that shit and pack it out. We can go sheep hunting. Exactly. Well, Chuck, I can kick it back to you. And uh, if there's any questions anyone has, I know we we don't have a ton of time left on the. I think there's 20 minutes left. So, if there's any questions, or uh, if you guys have any questions that you have for the the directors, it'd be cool. Yeah, I don't see a lot of questions. Uh, we're getting some comments from uh, folks that have been uh, watching the, you know, watching the interview here, and uh, it's just a lot of thank you, and um, you know, thank you to all of you guys and for all the hard work and stuff. So uh, I'll kick back at the end, but I'm curious to see what uh, 
Mr. Pete has to say too, because I know he spent some time a little farther north last year. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about that adventure too while you're at it. Yeah, you betcha. Not uh, not chasing any sheep up north, but yeah, we started guiding up in uh, Northwest Territories with Arctic Red uh, Outfitters. So yeah, doing caribou and moose up there, and yeah, it's just it's a uh, dream come true as far as I'm concerned. It's kind of some of the um, or the south there kind of terrain you can get into anymore and so to to just be that remote and just be out there with you know, with just wildlife and to mike's point earlier to, to never see people on a mountain ever is like that's that's all i need when i'm out in the hills and um yeah it's it's awesome i can't speak highly enough uh it's kind of screwing up my own personal sheep hunting plans nowadays but uh you know whatever you gotta gotta just do what you can do and um yeah it's I don't know, for, for the next few years, I think that's something I'll be doing a lot more of just because I can and yeah, might as well do the things you love doing, right? Yeah, right on. Um, well, I, I, like I said, I don't think there's a ton of questions. Um, oh, wait a second. Somebody's asking me, well, we can answer this one offline. Somebody's asking us what Spike Camp is. So we'll we'll send them a PM. Hey, Blake, what do you think? Um, <clears throat> I guess, you know, just a couple things I wanted to uh, kind of say here. I mean, Blake and I have been planning some sort of a project for a few years now. And um, the motivation behind Spike Camp really came from the Wild Sheep Society and, and what we saw, uh, not only from your efforts, but what we saw out on the landscape with sheep and, and with hunters. And uh, I've taken notes throughout this whole interview and, and I could probably do another 30 minutes on you know just the you know the motivation and uh, you know the desire to get something like this up up and on the uh, you know up and running and just a few little notes here like just looking at I'll go around the horn like the work that you know that um, Greg's doing with the government and the social media uh, it, it's really understated how much work that is. The social media, just my brief three month experience in uh, helping Blake with Spike Camp, uh, it's just a, it's a ton of work behind the scenes. You know, the little graphics and the posting and the transfer of information, uh, all of that is so important today to get the message out there. And all of these things connect, right? When you look around the, you know, the, the characters on the, uh, on the interview tonight, um, jump over to Joe with like the lotteries and the raffles and all that work. I mean, it's unsung, you know, just unpraised work. The the government, when it comes to lotteries and raffles, uh, I used to be a member, a board member of a, of a sports, a youth sports group. And I can tell you, just trying to get something as simple as a 50-50 draw approved and get everything in line for that. Again, you know, hats off to you, Joe, for that work. Uh, membership. Pete, you're trying to, you got the hardest job, I think, trying to get people to open their wallet, right? Like it's, I used to joke with one of my coaches when I coached baseball, it's like your back is sore because, you know, you, you just sit on your wallet all day. You know, it's it's incredible. And then you know, the project work, Chris, I mean, again, you know, all these things are, are just incredible reasons that the uh, society is uh, successful. The fundraising, having someone like Mike Selden there to you know, push the fundraising for all those years is so important. Like it, it'd be, it'd be really interesting to see how much money has been raised, you know, total over the years. And, you know, lastly, I think 
one of the, the most important and probably one of the best decisions that I've seen as a, a member of the Wild Sheep Society is the decision to put Kyle in the CEO role and keep him here so he didn't take a pilot's job somewhere else in the world. Uh, <clears throat> you tie all those things together and, you know, as a member, as a Monarch member now, and Blake is a life member, we're super proud to be part of this group. And again, you know, our, our main mission here is to support you guys and in every way, shape and form that we can. So uh, please, you know, on behalf of Spike Camp and, and our membership, whatever help you guys need in supporting the cause, whether it's, you know, time on the platform like we have tonight, we're going to get you guys back on. This has been a, a more than, you know, more than I expected as far as fun goes. So anyway, thank you guys very, very much for all your hard work. And uh, we got to do this again. So, and good luck on the sheep mounds, guys. Kyle, you got anything you want to add? No, just uh, thank you, Chuck and Blake for this. And, you know, you reached out a while back with the concept, Chuck. I love it. And um, and also, too, I, I know both you guys and Chuck, you in particular, it, this isn't it, this isn't a one trick pony. You know, the, the Tom Leonard thing was the fundraiser that we did that was driven uh, by you yourself. The donation you reached out, you heard the Tommy Len, uh, the Tom Leonard podcast with Tammy and said we need to do more. And we raised uh, our fastest sellout raffle in the history of the society. Six hours. We had sold twenty thousand dollars for the tickets to try and bring Tom, uh, bring some closure to the Leonard family. So real inspiring. I know you're still working behind the scenes, uh, you know, certainly weekly, if not daily to do more for that family. And um, so awesome. Keep up the great work. And uh, the society is built by the membership It's built by the, the Chuck Peelings, the Blake Peelings and everyone else that's on here. That's a, a member. It's, you know, it's your society and you guys are making a difference. You truly are. It's inspiring. Hey, Kyle, I got, one thing I think that's really cool to share uh, from the CNAs, um, I'll kind of start it and I'll let you finish it off, but it's related to the, not related to the Doll Sheep Project, but it's also related to the Yukon and the belief in those members at the CNA members. So we've had a few beers, we're heading back to the, to the hotel, I think it was Friday night, and I'm not sure whether it was you were Landris that started it off, but there was a challenge thrown out to uh, for everybody to was a, a Yukon Life member to join. So if you're a life member of Wild Sheep Foundation to be a life member of Yukon, it was 350 bucks um, to join. So I think, uh, I don't know whether it was you, but I'll turn the story over how that progressed and just where that ended up. Because um, I think that's a really cool story and it just explains that family and friends mentality. Yeah, super cool, Chris. And um, I think it's 300 for a membership, right, Joe? Yeah, so it's 300 bucks. I was saying 350. I'd no, give it, you It's 300 uh, for a membership for the time being, but we are, I believe, the cheapest membership. And once we're proving our worth to members, uh, expect us to uh, follow inflation. <laughs> yeah, so pretty inspiring. And uh, anyone that's a Wild Sheep Foundation member, can join as a life member. Sorry, if you're a Wild Sheep Foundation life member, you can join as a life member at UConn. I know this is Wild Sheep BC, but we are one half big happy family. Um, and most of us on this call here are, are members uh, of uh, the UConn. So yeah, don't be afraid to buy a life membership. Glenn, Glenn said a challenge of 50 life memberships. Last tally I seen was around 44, 45. 
So we need five of you guys to sign up for a Yukon Life membership to to take this to the next notch. And hey, if you're not, hey Joe, what, what what do I get for my life membership, Joe? That's the stupidest uh, question I've ever heard. I mean, how many I get that any, anytime I've been anywhere and you try to get somebody, what do I get for my life membership? What do I get for my membership? For starters, you get me. <laughs> uh, you, you, I'm just I'm just messing with you, buddy. Yeah. I, it's just I just had to yeah. The reassurance that people care for sheep and the buy-in of WSF society and chapters and affiliates like yourself that are supporting us and money to conservation to ensure wild sheep for your grandchildren and you will always yeah. have your clothes on at all the meetings and stuff like that there are no guarantees in this world <laughs> in this life so, or another i did I see that I, I may have a reputation at events but we'll leave it at that you got to cut people have to come back uh with a little something uh, on the next conversation. I did see that picture, Joe. It wasn't very, uh, if you'd had different color underwear on it, it would have way, been a way better picture. So, but anyways, I, it was... I, I have bighorn sheep underwear now. That's better. It, <laughs> but uh, I do want, I will say there were five individual $100 US pledges for me to put my clothes back on. That was money for conservation. <laughs> Right on, guys. Well, um, just a little housekeeping here. Just so you know, we will have uh, this. This is recorded. We're going to have a link to it on the platform tomorrow. So it'll be uh, embedded in there. It'll be on YouTube. And then it'll be on our podcast probably sometime tomorrow as well. And we're going to talk to Greg if you guys want a you know, copy of it for Talk of Sheep. Um, by all means, we can, we can double cast it and get that message out there. And Mike, if you buy that life membership, I'll send you a Spike Camp hat. When I see you next, I'll give you one. Oh man, you get yeah. I'm, I, this is yeah. Okay, yeah. I'll I'll buy a life membership, Joe. As long as Chris does. Well, Chris probably already yeah. did. I did. It was part of the challenge on the bus. I think I was number three to sign up. So there was by the time we hit the hotel, it was fourteen new life memberships. So hey, hey, Mike. Nice. The uh, the link is in the chat. Okay. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> right on boys thank you very much have a good night and good luck this fall thanks, thanks, thanks. Care, guys. thank you thanks boys